Hey guys, I'm Adam, and um, I'm the lead communicator here at Downtown Harbor Church. Thanks so much for being here. We are so excited um, that you've chosen to join us and hang out with us this morning. Welcome to the 1030 service. We had a great time at 9 o'clock this morning, but just thanks so much for being here. Um, we are in the middle of a two-week series, I'm sorry, a three-week series. This is week two called Seat at the Table. What we're doing in these three weeks is we are actually taking a look at the story of the prodigal son for three weeks in a row, and we are actually going through it scripture by scripture, line by line, and we're taking a look at uh, each week we're taking a look um, at a perspective from each one of the characters. In this story, there is a father and an older brother and a younger son. And so what we're doing is we're taking one week each and we're looking at the story from their perspective. So you're here on week two. We're talking about the older brother here today. If you missed week one, you can go to soflowchurch.com in our media section and go ahead and check out week one for uh, what you missed. Before we dive in, I have a story to tell you all um, related to myself that I think you might find interesting that might help you apply some things today. If you're like me, in August of the year 2000, you were in a very specific place one faithful evening in front of your cow or in front of your television. Because in August of the year 2000, that is when the show Survivor, which changed the landscape of television forever, debuted. And on their season finale from season one, 100 million people tuned in to see Richard Hatch win $1 million over Kelly Wigglesworth on that faithful Thursday night all those years ago. And I don't know about you, but I was glued to what I saw on the television set. I was glued to Survivor so much that Caitlin and I still watch it all these years later, 15 some odd years later. They are currently in the middle of season 31. Those of you who ask, is this show still on? Like John Garippa said to me, who watches that show? I said, we do. I said, and it's still on. It is our favorite show. It is phenomenal. Um, so once that happened in August of 2000, I said to my family at that point, Caitlin and I, we didn't know each other then, but I said to my family, I am going to be on that show. This show and I are destined to be together in our life. It will happen. And it wasn't because I wanted to spend, you know, 39 days on a beach starving uh, under the stars fighting the marine life that was there. It wasn't because I wanted to do that. It wasn't because I wanted to participate in like these really grueling challenges. Why I wanted to participate in Survivor was because it was a game that tested your social ability. How far would you go? What would you do? And would your character be tested as you participated in it? So I really really wanted to do it. So I applied time and time and time again. And then in the year 2004, the phone rang and it was the CBS casting department for Survivor. And they said to me, Adam, we really loved your audition tapes. Um, we want to know if you'll have a conversation with us about auditioning for the show. And I said, yes, I will. So I talked to them, and we spent about 15 minutes on the phone together. They called me the next day. They followed up with me, and they said, we'd really like to give you a 30-minute phone interview with our next level of casting. Are you interested? I said, yes, I am. So I spent 30 minutes on the phone with them. They called me back again, and they said, listen, we'd like to move you to our semifinal round. And I was like, oh, my goodness, this is going to happen. Okay. So I went to Detroit, and there was a group of about 20 of us who they interviewed us, and their next step was to go to Los Angeles and be cast. So I got basically as far as I could before going to Los Angeles and being put on the show. And I'll never forget it because in the group where we were, there was this one guy who was like eyeing me down and he was like smug and he was like looking at me and I was like, buddy, if you're on the island, I'm voting you off first. Like that was what I was doing, right? So 
So sure enough, I went there and I killed the interview. It was awesome. And we went in and I was like, I went home and I was like, I'm going to get cast. My dream is going to come true. I'm going to be on this show. And the day that they were going to make the phone calls to uh, tell people whether they were not cast or cast, I was waiting by my phone the entire day. I did not have a cell phone in 2004. Apparently, I was the only person who didn't have a cell phone in 2004. So I was waiting by the phone and sure enough, they called and I picked it up and they said, we're sorry to inform you, we didn't cast you. And I said, bummer. So I've kept applying. I've never made it on the show. But I have to tell you what I felt in that moment. I was very, very sad. I was very, very jealous. And I was very, very envious of those people who were cast. And when I watched the show, it was season 10, Palau, in 2004. I'll never forget because the guy who was smugly looking at me across the room made it to the show. And for all of that season, I kind of sat through that, and I was like, this is something that is very difficult for me to take, it's very difficult for me to stomach, and it's very difficult for me to actually put my feelings into words related to how jealous I am that this is happening and I'm not a part of it. Because see, I thought that I deserved to be a part of it. I had worked so hard and I wanted it so bad. It took me a long time to deal with those jealous feelings and jealous emotions, but I realized at some point in time that I would be okay if I never made it on that show. Now, that's a funny thing for some of us that that is the thing that I dealt with because for all of us, we have these issues that we deal with related to jealousy that aren't necessarily being cast on reality television, okay? But most of us do deal with something somewhere along the way that we would uh, be jealous of or about. And why do I tell you my story? I tell you my story because that is how we are going to land today and what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk at a very detailed level today about jealousy and what it will do to you if you let it creep into your life like it did our character in today's story, Seat at the Table. So before we dive in, let me talk about this parable. Because a parable is a story that Jesus taught with a message to prove a point. A parable was not a true story, but a story that Jesus would use as an illustration to people at the time to prove a point, to teach them how to live. So Jesus was talking to these people called Pharisees and tax collectors. Pharisees were the religious leaders of the time. He was talking to tax collectors and people, we kind of envisioned them in a group listening to Jesus. And Jesus told three parables in the book of Luke, where we're going to land today, about things that were lost, the lost sheep the lost coin, and the lost son. And the story of the lost son is where we will land today. Last week, we looked at the father and his role in this entire story. And today, we will take a look at the older brother. So if you do have your scriptures or your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 15. That's where we're going to land today. If you don't, no problem. The words will be on my screen right here. So here's what the story says as we begin. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son said to his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. Let's stop. Imagine you as the older brother listening to this. Your punk younger brother has now said to your dad, who is a well-respected man in the community, He's treated his sons well. He's wealthy. He's done well for himself, and his son knows this. Both sons know this, and one son, the younger son, has the audacity to say to him, I want my share of your estate now before you die. If I were the older brother, I would be sitting back going, oh, no, you didn't to dad, right? You did not just do that to the guy who's treated us so well throughout our entire life, but mm, you did. So the father 
agreed to divide his wealth between the sons. He gave the younger son his money, and he would go on his way. And the older son, at least what we can gather related to the story, even though it was divided, didn't get the wealth yet. He was the one to be at home, kind of helping pick up the pieces of this. This would come later on for him. The only reason we kind of uh, come to that conclusion is based on how angry he is at the end of the story, but we will get there in just a moment. So the younger son gets half of his dad's money. And a few days later, the younger son packed up all his belongings, moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all of his money in wild living. He basically took all of that money and just tossed it away, as I said last week, in Las Vegas on gambling and bottle service and prostitutes, it says at the end of the text. He wasted all of his money on wild living. So what can we learn from this? If we're talking about the perspective of the older brother, what can we learn from this today? How does this relate to our own lives? Here's just one thing that I think. I think that sometimes your siblings will do stupid things. I think that sometimes that your siblings will do stupid things. Now, maybe you don't have siblings and you're an only child. Let's take this a step further. Maybe your siblings won't do something stupid or you don't have one. Maybe it is your extended relatives or your family. Maybe it's even your parents or your kids, but you're sometimes those people closest to us. Maybe it's close friends. They will do stupid things. Things. They will walk away from people that they shouldn't walk away from. They will go blow their money on things that they necessarily shouldn't. And we are the people who are here going, these people that we're closest to, these people who are in our life the closest, sometimes even these people who are blood in our life will do stupid things. They will mess up. Why does that bother us? Shouldn't we just be concerned with us? Shouldn't we just be concerned with our own life? Well, Maybe, but if you take that a step further, the people who are closest to you, let's even say your siblings, you want what's best for them, don't you? I have two younger sisters, Kelly and Lauren. I want what's best for them. I don't want them to do stupid things. I don't want them to mess up in their life. And when they do, and they do really dumb things, sometimes I even develop a little sense of anger toward them. I'm going, how could you do something like that? Because when you do stupid things, there are consequences for their actions, and I don't want them to have to deal with those consequences. And most of the time, when you do stupid things, you hurt people that you care about. But we see this all the time, don't we? In the news and in the media and Hollywood, people are doing stupid things like wasting their money on wild living all the time. Why does that not bother us? We could watch that on the, the media or we could watch that online or we could see that in a tabloid. That doesn't bother us as much. And the reason it doesn't, and maybe it should, is because those people aren't close to us. It doesn't affect us personally. But when your siblings do stupid things, you are affected by that. So the first thing you need to recognize is that this is real. It will happen. And for most of us, there's a time or something in our memory bank that we go, yep, I've already been there and seen someone close to me do something like this. Let's go on. About the time his money ran out, we're talking about the younger brother now, a famine, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his field to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him 
anything. Basically, you ready? Rock bottom. The absolute end. He is at the end of his pitiful rope. He has no other place to go where he's at other than home. He is at rock bottom. So what's this look like for you? Maybe, and let's just take some modern day examples. Maybe your brother lives under a bridge. Maybe your cousin cheated on his wife and three kids and left them to go do something else. Maybe your mom and your aunt are at each other's throats and they can't even be in the same room together. They are at the end of their road in their relationship. Now, I brought a clip with me today that I think is just really interesting and fun. It's from one of my favorite movies of all time. And one of the things we like to do at Downtown Harbor Church is we like to laugh a little bit, so it's good. Um, I like to laugh and chuckle, give it a tee-hee and a ha every now and then. Um, but take a look at the screen because I want to illustrate this point. If the Chicago Cubs win the World Series this year, I'm convinced that God had something to do with the making of the Back to the Future trilogy, because if you know anything about that, Back to the Future 2 happens in 2015, October 21st, 2015, and it says the Chicago Cubs win the World Series, so we'll just have to wait with bated breath to see if that's true or not. I'm just kidding. That's a joke. Thanks, thanks for laughing with me. Okay. Um, Basically, in there, what I think they're saying is, in that clip, and I even think the brother would be looking at this passage of Scripture and these events with his younger brother, and I think that he would be going, I'm related to this person? I'm related to this guy? And maybe you have people in your own life that you're like, I'm related to this person? This person over here who's done this is actually blood to me? Are you kidding me? Uncle Jailbird Joey is my uncle? How did this happen? Where did it go wrong? Problem is, is that our attitude related to people who have done stupid things is generally that. And you really can't blame the older brother, if you think about it, for his attitude because he's been living in this vacuum, right? So if his younger brother went away and spent all of dad's money and disappointed dad, do you think that that was a great place to live in? Do you think that that was a peaceful home? Do you think dad was in a good place as the son had gone off and spent everything? Probably not. And who was left to pick up the pieces? The older brother. Who was left to work in the fields and to make sure everything was right? The older brother. It was not probably, and this isn't a true story, so we can glean from this. We can kind of make some assumptions. This was probably not a very good place to be. So to have an attitude like he will show later in the story is not that far off. The problem with that is, related to us here today, is this, is that there's always an opportunity for redemption. There's always an opportunity for redemption, and we tend to forget that. We tend to forget that those people who've done something wrong, we tend to forget sometimes that they're people. And we tend to forget that God said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Because there's always an opportunity for redemption. That's what the dad showed the younger brother last week. So think about that, about those people who in your life have gone and done stupid things, do you answer 
the thoughts you have with how in the world am I related to this person or do you use your thoughts in this direction by thinking there's always an opportunity for redemption? There's a big contrast between those two statements or questions. The story goes on. It says, when he finally came to his senses, remember the younger brother here, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger? I know what I'll do. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. Here's what you need to know about that. This, what he said here. This is understanding that he was wrong and asking for forgiveness. He will say that to his father. He sinned against both heaven and you. This is him coming to a realization, the younger kid, that I've screwed up, I've done wrong, and I'm thinking about going home. It is genuine repentance. Repentance is a word that means I understand that I'm wrong, and I'm going to say I'm sorry and ask for forgiveness. This is genuine, I believe. So, the big drama moment. The younger son goes home. So he returned home to his father and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Kissed him. And if, if, if you didn't hear it last week, go, go back and listen to last week, because we landed here for so long, and it was just a powerful moment about what happens here between the father and the younger son. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But the father said to the servants, Quick! Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf. Now, the calf was considered to be the best meal that a family could have together. The calf was considered to be everything to a family who would sit down and eat the calf. And kill the calf, we've been fat, and it was fat and juicy and plump and ready for consumption, like a big ribeye, if you know what I'm saying. It was ready. We must celebrate with a feast, for the son of mine was dead. And now it's returned to life. He was lost, but now he was found. So the party began. But in those last four slides, where was the mention of the older brother? He's nowhere to be found when this is happening. Might not even know that this has happened. In fact, we know based on the next verse that he doesn't know that this has happened yet. Because where was he? Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working continuing to slave away, continuing to do what his father had asked him to do, why younger brother has gone away and lost it all and then come back and asked forgiveness of dad and his dad said yes while the older son is still in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house and he asked one of the servants, what's going on? The servant said, your brother is back. And he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf, the finest meal, because we are celebrating because of his safe return. Now, let me ask you a question. You're the older brother. What would your reaction be to this? Let's put it in modern day terms for a second. Your brother went off to college, a really expensive College, But before he went, he decided to ask mom and dad if he could have half of their money before he went. And they, for some strange reason, say yes. Brother goes off to college, flunks out after one year. Why? Because he's a drunk. 
and he's a drug addict. And sure enough, along the way, he impregnated a girl but decided to leave her and said he wanted nothing to do with the child. But after one last crazy night of partying, he had too much to drink, did too much meth, wound up face up in a swamp, and then decided, let me come home and ask dad if he will take me back. What would your reaction be if you've been working in the fields for however long this guy had been working in the fields because we don't know how much time passed between the wasting and wild living and now what would your reaction be? I can tell you what mine would be. I'm sorry, mother and father. I have gotten straight A's in school. I've done everything right. I have a job. I contribute to this home. I pay for half of my education myself. I have a great relationship with a girl that I'm about to marry. We've done nothing wrong. We've done everything as we were supposed to do, and you're going to reward him? Are you out of your mind? That would be my modern-day reaction, but there's a problem with that reaction, isn't there? There's a problem with that reaction because what we've done is we've looked over there and over there. We've looked side to side instead of just looking at ourselves and realizing all the things that we have. We've looked over here and we've said, he doesn't deserve this because he's done this and I have not, so I deserve it. She doesn't deserve that. She went off and screwed up. I haven't. I deserve this. But the problem with that is, is that's where jealousy creeps in. And I have to tell you something about jealousy. It's so bad because looking side to side only distracts you from how good you actually have it. Looking side to side only distracts you from how good you actually have it. Here's what I want everybody in the room to do for just a second. Think of your life. Think of your life. Think of now the people who are closest to you in your life and what you have. Think of those who are your family or your closest friends and how often you get to interact with them and celebrate life with them. Think of how special those moments are. Think of where you live. Think of how you got here today. What brought you here? How did you physically get to this space? Think of the animals that you have in your life. Imagine if you just stopped for a second and thought of your life. Think of how much you actually have. But when we look side to side and we compare ourselves to others, we only distract from how good that we actually have it. Because I don't know about you, but when I start to look over there and look over there and look over there and look over there, I start to see things that I want. But I have a great, great life. Blessed beyond belief. And the truth is about us is that most of us have a phenomenal Phenomenal life. Don't miss how good your life is like the older brother is about to do in this story. The older brother, don't, don't miss this. This is huge. This is, this is where the story gets so interesting. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father coming after him saying, son, please. His father came out and begged. You know what that word means, begged? Begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never even gave me one young goat, not as important as a calf, not as important as a calf, not as important as a meal as a calf, 
for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours, ooh, not my brother, not my brother. In fact, he's dead to me. I won't even say his name, not my brother. Yet when this son of yours, remember we talked about a couple of weeks ago, it's way easier to make a point than to make a difference. Oh, he's making a point, but he's going to make very little difference. When this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. You gave him the best meal. You didn't give me squat. You gave him the best. He is dead to me. He's dead. He's gone. He's no longer a part of my life. I will not associate with him. He is dead to me. That's what happens when jealousy creeps in. We respond like this. And remember earlier when I told you that when people who are closest to us go and do things that they shouldn't or they do stupid things, we tend to get a little angry on their behalf and we don't tend to manage those emotions properly. Let's do this one more time. The older brother was angry. His father came out and he replied, all these years I slaved for you and you never once refused and I never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And that time you never even gave me one young goat for a feast with my friend. But when this son of yours, your son, comes home back after squandering her money on prostitutes, you kill the fattened calf? How dare you? And how dare you wrong me in the process? Problem is, when anger creeps in and jealousy creeps in, it gets ugly, and jealousy looks terrible on you if you continue to wear it. It looks really, really bad. When you get angry like that, because the first time I read that, I didn't read it as angry as the second time because I wanted to prove a point. More than likely, you don't come in when you're angry and go, Dad, I slaved for you for all those years. I did all this, and no, you're mad. It says he was angry. He was hot. And jealousy leads to anger, anger leads to hate, hate leads to suffering. Jealousy looks terrible on you if you continue to wear it. But Jesus said something differently about how we should react. And he showed us that by what he showed us in the Father. His Father said to him, look, dear son, his Father just going, please, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours we had to celebrate this happy day. We had to, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. Yes, he was dead. And we tend to think of death and life as breathing air and not, but your brother was dead. He screwed up. His decisions were horrible. He was dead. And to you, he's still dead, but he has come back to life. Celebrate it. And Jesus through this passage was saying, I believe when you think you're so good because of what you've done, Jesus said, give a party to the one who's messed it all up. Because he came back and asked for forgiveness. And he came back and said, Dad, I'm so sorry. Take me back. I screwed up. He didn't say, give a, give a party to the one who went away and is still away. He said, give a party to the one who messed it all up. He came back and said he was sorry. He came back and he said, take me back. I've done something wrong. You know, and you think you're so good because of what you have done. I don't know about your experience, but that just seems like a lot of Christians that I've met in my lifetime. Where we go, you know what? Those people who aren't like us, those people who've messed up, those people who are out there, we don't really want anything to do with them. But us, we deserve something. Because we've 
done all these spiritual disciplines for so long, and those are good things, those aren't bad things. We've done all these good things for so long. Why don't you celebrate us? But when you think you're so good, because of what you've done, Jesus said, give a party to the one who messed it all up. If that is true, everything is different. If that is true, everything is different. Friends, I want to be so serious with you here today. Look at what jealousy can do. And I'm about to illustrate it at the end of this, but I want you to hear a couple of other passages of Scripture in the ancient text that will help us to understand how bad this is. In James chapter 3, verse 16, James, the brother of Jesus, who didn't even believe that Jesus was the Son of God at first. Think about it. If your brother told you he was God's Son, would you believe him at first? I probably wouldn't. Okay? For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. In Proverbs 14:30, it says this: a peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. Jealousy is like cancer in the bones. Proverbs 14:30. Just don't miss this. A peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. Jealousy is like cancer in the bones. Do you know what cancer does? It kills you. It, it will take your life. It, that's how serious this is. Either Diet Coke or jealousy. You know what I'm saying? Like one of those two things are going to get you. Jealousy is like cancer in the bones. So I want to go back for a second. So I've proved my point of how serious this is. I'm going to go back. His father said to him, look to your son. You've always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. You had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost but now is found. In the beginning of this story, the younger son went and asked for his father's money, left and spent it in wild living, separating himself from his family. But then he came back. And the older brother, who has dealt with jealousy and has dealt with envy and has dealt with this idea that he thinks that he deserves something, now because he's dealing with that and won't accept that he was lost but now is found, he's actually ended up in the exact same place that his younger brother started, but in different circumstances. The younger brother had his own set of circumstances, but he came and made it right. And now the older brother, who won't forgive, and who won't say yes to his younger brother, and he won't accept this idea of redemption, because he's so consumed with himself, he has now subsequently separated himself from his family in the same way his younger brother did at the beginning of this story. He's done the same thing, just with a different set of circumstances. And the fact of the matter is, we don't know how this story actually continues and ends because it's done here. But I tend to start to think, did he ever come back? Did he separate himself from his younger, or younger brother and his father for the rest of his life? That would be horrible. He'd actually have fallen into the exact thing that he fought against. See, culture tends to tell us that jealousy is about things that we tend to judge or be jealous of things that other people have. And I'm not saying that some of us don't deal with that, whether that's a new car or a house or a TV or an outfit. I was at a friend's house last night, and they had a 75-inch TV, and I got to tell you, I was experiencing a little jealousy there. You know what I'm saying? But at the end of the day, it didn't wreck my life. I live without it because real jealousy comes down to emotion. It comes down to people. That's when it starts to make you look really, really bad. When you think you deserve something and someone else who you don't think deserves it gets it 
it will begin to be like cancer in your bones and it will eat you from the inside out. Don't be jealous of others. Envy will destroy you. Don't be jealous of others. Envy will destroy you. The older brother is now separated from his family. He is destroyed from the inside out. All because of this very, very bad word, jealousy. And the problem is, is that a lot of times when we're jealous, we tend to justify it by saying, no, I have done right, I have done good, I do deserve this. But when Jesus said, when you think you're so good that you deserve something, give a party to the one who messed it all up. Don't be jealous of others. Envy will rip you limb from limb, will tear your family apart. It will destroy you. Let's pray. God, thank you first and foremost for who you are, how you love us, and what you're teaching us through this story. I pray that you would let this story filter into the hearts of every person in this room, your word, the text, the scripture, so that we may understand what envy is, what jealousy is, and how to guard our own life against it. Because God, we want to show the people who we love the most that we care about them. We don't want our lives to be about us because when it is about us, this is what happens. You told us to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. God, help us to not be jealous of our neighbors. Whether those are our closest family members, our spouses, or those who are our closest friends, whatever it looks like, God, I pray that you would help each one of us right where we're at to do that. We would not be jealous of others because envy will eventually destroy us. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.